0: Over the last few Sundays, we have been spending our Sunday mornings in the Old Testament book of Exodus. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn with me please to Exodus chapter 20 as we're reading verses 12 through 17. And During these Sundays together, we have been exploring the Ten Commandments. And not only have we been exploring them, we've been asking ourselves, what is the best way to take the principles laid down in the Ten Commandments and then apply them into our own lives in a 21st century cultural context? And so that's where we've been over the last few Sundays. And today, much to everyone's surprise, we're going to combine two commandments. Commandment 8 And commandment 10, and I trust that will be fairly uh, straightforward and self explanatory as we come to it. So let's begin verse 12. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox, or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. About 20 years ago, when I lived in Inverness, Scotland, as part of my responsibilities as a minister, I was part of the chaplaincy team to a local high school. My job was to work with the 16s and 18-year-olds, and I would go in once a week and speak to school assembly or, from time to time, deal with a classroom setting. And we would often look at moral and ethical issues. And I asked them on one occasion to imagine that there were six people in a small rubber uh, lifeboat. I think the best way, perhaps a dinghy, is the best way to describe it. But unfortunately, there is a leak. And the water is coming into the boat at a steady rate. And you begin to realize, if you're in the boat, that the boat is about to sink unless... Someone steps out of the boat in order to save the others. Now the people in the boat are as follows. There's a 21 year old young lady. There's a 70 year old scientist. There's a young Korean couple. Frank, the ship's cook, is also in there. And finally, Charlie, He's a single father of two teenagers as the discussion goes around the boat, how are we going to survive? You come to an agreement that someone has to be voted out of the boat. How do you vote? Look at the list. Who would be on your list for the first person to go? Now, as you can imagine, 16 and 18-year-olds looked at this from a variety of aspects and we had a healthy discussion. And eventually, when the discussion got to an impasse, I suggested perhaps you need additional information. And here is the additional information. The 21-year-old young lady is expecting her first baby. So if you vote her out, you're voting out, in fact, two lives, not just one. Secondly, the 70-year-old scientist is on the verge of developing a cure for cancer. And if you vote him out, you may in fact be condemning hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of others. The third, the young Korean couple, had just fled from a concentration camp in North Korea, and they were coming here for a new life. Frank, the ship's cook, is your father. Would you wish to vote Frank out of the boat? And fourth, Charlie, the single dad, of two teenagers, is Prince Charles. Dad to William and Harry. And 20 years ago, when the boys were teenagers, that was exactly the case. And I would have to tell you, as soon as the 16s to 18 year olds discovered it was Prince Charles, 90% of the class voted him out immediately. And when I asked them why, this was their response. He's rich and has had a privileged upbringing. Isn't that incredible? If you're rich and you have a privileged upbringing, you're first out the boat. Interesting process of thinking. Now, when we have to make moral, ethical decisions, those decisions can be difficult and messy and complicated, usually never easy. And as we've explored the Ten Commandments, that's exactly what we have found. Not only have we explored the significance of the commandments themselves, but the moral values and the ethical dimensions of them have become pretty clear not only have they become pretty clear in their significance and importance, we have looked at how do we apply them to our lives in a 21st century cultural context. And we did that two weeks ago when we looked at abortion, and last Sunday morning when we looked at adultery. And these subjects are not easy to deal with. They are messy and complex and at times leave us feeling significantly uncomfortable, But if we are to live out our life day by day by day as Christian people, there are times when we face hard decisions that are messy and complicated because as Christians we are convinced of this, that our walk must equal our talk because God never calls us to be Sunday morning Christians only. He calls us to mature and develop our faith. He calls us into an ever-increasing relationship with Him. And that means from time to time, doing the hard work of applying the commandments to our lives. And this morning, as we come to the 8th and the 10th commandment, and we're putting them together, and I hope you will see that, we're looking at, you shall not steal, and you shall not covet. Now sometimes, the 8th and the 10th commandment, in coming together, causes some questions. And those questions relate to character and integrity and honesty, transparency. And sometimes I hear those themes come up in conversation, especially when people get together. And someone in the conversation, and of course the conversation begins way out here, how are you, how is your family, how are things at work, how are the children, the grandchildren, and the conversation begins to move to a deeper, intimate place. And someone expresses difficulty in making a major decision. And as they go round and round and round and look at the question from various angles, inevitably the person listening will say, okay, Tell me this, what is it that you really want out of life? That's a good question. What is it you really want out of life? But the commandments take it to another level because their focus is not so much in what do you really want out of life, but rather who do you want to become? as you live out that life. And that's the ethical, religious, moral values contained within the commandment are wrapped up in that question. Who do you want to be? I think most of us admire folks who live lives that have, as part of their character, transparency and honesty and integrity. I think we admire and hold in high regard people for whom a living faith is a reality. They live it out day by day. They're willing to tackle those tough questions regardless of how convenient or inconvenient, rather, those questions are. Someone who will walk the straight and narrow, give thanks to God and depend on Him and seek His enabling and equipping grace. And that faith shapes their character, defines who they are, and they seek to be more Christ-like in every aspect of our lives. And that's where the commandments are taking us this morning. And this morning we're going to see that these commandments are designed as part of our growth and maturity as we seek to be more Christ-like. And that's exactly where we're going. Now, you may be tempted to say, well, Richard, quite honestly, I'm not sure why we spend an entire Sunday morning on you shall not steal, because everyone agrees you shall not steal. It's not a good thing. And covet, well, honestly, covet isn't, in my mind, up there with murder and adultery. Covetness seems, well, it's kind of really doesn't do anyone any harm. So why are we focusing on stealing and covetousness? Well, let me push back ever so gently and ask the question, are issues like fraud, forgery, theft of intellectual property rights, embezzlement and larceny are these criminal activities on the decrease as a culture and a nation or are they on the increase? They're on the increase. Could it be, could it be, that the erosion of our moral fabric, our ethical focus as a nation is slow, subtle, silent, and absolutely deadly. And that's why we're focusing on these two commandments this morning. Because they are significant and important. Subtle, slow, and silent as they are. It's crucial to get our head around them and understand why they're in the Ten Commandments. When I was a wee boy back in the 1960s, there was a very popular musical at the time called Oliver and it was based on the story of Oliver Twist and if you're familiar with the writings of Charles Dickens you will know that he often would take the character that he is writing about and give them a name that reflected the character And I first discovered this in reading Oliver Twist when you had the large individual called Mr. Bumble because he simply was bumbling around the place. And the other great characters of Oliver Twist are Fagan, of course, and Nancy and Bill Sykes. Oliver Twist, the artful Dodger, there's a name, of course, that reflects the character. And some of you will remember the sort of, gosh, there are so many memorable songs in the musical. But this one is one that you'll remember, where Fagin has a gathering of homeless street boys, and he's teaching them how to steal. And in fact, that's how they make their living, they steal. And so the song, You've Got to Pick a Pocket or Two, has these words. And Fagin is teaching the boys, and he says, take a tip from Bill Sykes, he can whip what." He likes I recall he started small, he had to pick a pocket or two, he had to pick a pocket or two, he had to pick a pocket or two oo and I'm sure you remember the song, and it's extremely well done. But notice the third line down. I recall he started small. And like so many sins, it starts small. Ugh. Won't do anyone any harm. Who will know? It really doesn't matter. And sometimes I hear folks defending theft, and sometimes even in my own mind I've defended it in the sense, well, was it really stealing? It was a large multinational company, no one will ever miss it. Was it really stealing? person's wealthy, more money than sense. Does it really matter if you lose a little? And you can hear the justification coming through. It's not a big deal. No one will miss it. Does it matter? Well, let's vote Charlie out the boat. After all, he's wealthy and privileged. It's no big deal. Subtle and slow and silent. Because when we commit an act of theft, what we are saying is this, that what someone else has, it's more important for me to take it and keep it and have it, and in so doing, I absolutely and utterly treat them with contempt, devalue them, and disprove. Respect them because it's more important I have it than they have it. That's what's going on when theft takes place. Other forms of theft are a little more subtle. Borrowing something and not returning it. And if you don't return it, the person to whom it belonged no longer has access to it or can use it. Now that I've said that, I may have to go through my garage this afternoon to make sure I haven't borrowed something from any of my neighbours and need to give it back. And it just happens slowly and silently. Stealing time from an employer. Stealing time from an employee. Time they can't get back. Subtle, slow, silent when we steal the reputation of someone else in order that we might get the contract or the business rather than it going to them. Theft of a reputation. Putting someone down in order that you may profit. taking credit for someone else's work in an office environment and very seriously stealing the innocence and purity of someone you're dating can have a devastating effect for many years to come theft is a living reality take a tip from Bill Sykes he can whip what he likes I recall he started small. You've got to pick a pocket or two. Really? And the link between the Eighth Commandment and the Tenth Commandment becomes pretty clear. When we realize that sin sometimes comes to the mind and heart and soul through the eyes, we see something or someone we want and we covet it. We yearn for it. We crave after it. We hanker for it. And we think it should, in fact, be ours. So let me get down to the nitty-gritty, if I can use that phrase. How do you respond if you are single and a good friend, your closest friend, discovers romance? happy delighted excited for them or perhaps in the heart and soul why did it happen to them why couldn't it happen to me i had my eye on him or her first ever been there got a contract on a home because it's perfect for you and your family It's got all the requisite rooms for your children, a large backyard, plenty of room in the driveway to park your car, good neighbours. And then someone you know closes on the house. They get the deal, you don't. Happy, delighted, thrilled for them. It should have been mine. I saw it first. What is going on here? Am I too late to up my offer and move in? It's a very thin, thin line, isn't there? Sometimes the temptation to cross over is very real. Last Sunday morning we saw it with David who began to covet Bathsheba. And it ended up in absolute and utter disaster. What about a situation in an office environment? Two or three of you go through job interview, and you've been planning and preparing and praying, in fact, for weeks and weeks and weeks. You should have the promotion. You should have the increase in salary. You do a far better job than anyone else in the office, and then the other person gets the job, and you're devastated. It should have been mine. I worked so hard. And you covet it and crave it. And are devastated when you don't get it. What kind of person are you willing to be? Covetousness. And the single biggest problem with covetousness is this. That your focus is on possessions and self-gain rather than in God himself. And covetous leads to, if only I had this, then I would be fulfilled. If only I had that, then I would be contented. If only, if only, if only then I would be fulfilled. And our fulfillment and our contentment in Christ is no longer there. It's shifted to something else. Because covetousness is not so much about the outward act, but the inward attitude that drives you to the act. That's what's going on. That's why it's in the Ten Commandments. Because God has His eye on the heart and mind and soul, your relationship with Him. The apostle Paul writing in Philippians writes, I have learned to be contented whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And when contentment and deep satisfaction shifts from a relationship with Christ to possessions and power and position. It's time to think again. Because we know in our own experience that deep contentment, satisfaction leads to who we are becoming. And who we are becoming is shaped and fashioned by prayer. It's shaped and fashioned by doing the hard work of rejoicing with those who have been successful when the temptation is to covet what they have. Especially if they do things that you've always wanted to do. Go places in a professional life that you've always wanted to go to. And our response is, Father, bless them, encourage them, excite them, and may your hand be upon them as I begin to deal with my own character and refine and shape me. That's the hard work of genuine Christian character being built and refined and shaped. The slow, silent, subtle erosion of Christian values, of national morals. Don't come to pass because you've got to pick a pocket or two. But when we do the hard work of standing firm in the faith, refusing to go down the road of ruining someone's reputation in order that you may gain, of being honest and transparent and gracious and refusing to covet in order to receive positions and possessions, but rather... I have learned to be content in all circumstances, and notice the last two lines right at the end. And I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. And if you're facing a tough situation this week, right in the margin beside the eighth commandment and the tenth commandment, Philippians 4:11 through. 13. Father, let me find contentment in you. Enable me, by your grace, through the work of genuine prayer, to be an individual for whom contentment is found in you. You shall not steal, you shall not covet, may not be up there alongside murder, adultery, but it's very real. And by His enabling grace and sustaining love, these are areas we can flourish in rather than give in to the temptation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you that it speaks into our lives in very practical ways. And so this morning we ask that as we leave this service, go into Sunday school, small groups, enter into a new week over the next few days, may we indeed be men and women focused on who we are becoming. May we be individuals willing to do the hard work of resisting temptation that is slow and silent and subtle and shape and fashion our character that we might be more Christ-like. Father, enable us to do so because we recognize all that you have accomplished and done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.